0: Welcome to All Out Living, the podcast dedicated to providing you tools, information, advice, motivation, and much, much more in the areas of fitness, health, wellness, and style, helping you live an all-out life. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Orange Theory Fitness, Brownsville, home of the best one-hour workout in fitness. Orange Theory, a one-hour full-body workout, heart-rate-based interval training, if you're looking for accelerated results? Go see our friends at Orange Theory. Keep burning! Welcome back to All Out Living. We are super excited about our uh, episode today for many, many reasons, which we'll get to. But first, let me introduce my co-host for today, Michael Mike G. Gutierrez, Orange Theory head coach. What's up, Mike G?
1: What's up, All Out Nation? How are you guys doing today?
0: Thanks. Able- Thanks for taking some time away from the studio to be with us. Uh, it's been a, a really fun week. If you're like me, you're a fan of the Olympics. Uh, it has started this week. Uh, Sean White winning his third gold medal. That was amazing. Uh, and even though I don't watch downhill skiing or ice skating or any of the, speed skating or snowboarding all other four years, for whatever reason, uh, I think it's love of country uh, the stakes that, you know, uh, these athletes are competing at, uh, it, it, it just makes for great television. It's so inspirational. They all have a great backstory, just like our guests today who I introduced in a few seconds. But uh, go Team USA, right, Mike? That's
1: right, man. Sean White, he is not human. Did you yeah, see him on that? That was crazy. Half-pipe. That was
0: the best uh, half pipe I've seen in a long time. Uh, I'm really, really excited he got back on the podium from from not getting medal at Sochi to, to getting back uh, as a gold medal, three-time gold medalist incredible way to go sean hopefully it'll be on the podcast one day what do you think think reach for the stars baby here we go so uh we hope to come to you weekly sharing the stories of our guests who have been there and done that in the areas of fitness health wellness and style getting back getting and staying fit is hard work challenging but very rewarding we want to provide you with resources and motivation that you need to live an all-out life so here we go i am very 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 stoked about today's episode uh, we have an American Ninja Warrior right here in the Rio Grande Valley, Abel Gonzalez. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks well, for
2: having me, Eddie. I appreciate it, Mike. Yep.
0: We're here in your in your gym, Axios Warrior Academy. This is incredible. I, I see a warp wall for the very first time for fans of the show. It is a lot taller than it looks on TV, my 14 man. 14
2: feet, yeah. yeah. And it's taller now. It's 14 and a half feet. So this one's actually a little bit shorter than on the show. So it's pretty intimidating when you first see it for the first time.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So... You're an American Ninja Warrior competitor. You're a motivational speaker. You own this gym, work with kids. Uh, you're doing extremely well.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely uh, kept on this this life path of making big things happen and making what I want out of life. You know? and, and now I'm here. So, yeah, very proud of what I've done. And uh, just can't wait to keep going forward with it.
0: Well, so we had met before. I was trying to put to... A, a together a list of guests, especially those from South Texas who I've been inspired by. I'm so glad that, that you responded when we reach out to you. So let me tell you, uh, our fans a little bit about American Ninja Warrior. I've been watching the show since it was on a channel, a little obscure channel called G4. I was flipping through the TV one day, Abel. I see these folks in Japan doing this insane obstacle course, uh, doing superhuman feats. And I was mesmerized. Oh so call- yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly the same thing that happened to me. I was uh, I was mesmerized. I, I saw it first on YouTube, I, and when I saw what they were doing, it re- instantly clicked with me because mm-hmm. I had been studying movement and physical feats and, and training for a long time. For I think eight years before I saw the show, when I saw that, I was like, "That's pro- that's impossible. Like, yeah. how are these guys doing that?" And then I thought right away, "It's like, well, if they're doing it, then I can do it." Yeah. Right.
0: That's so there, that there's like mentality. two yeah. Yeah.
2: mentality. Yeah.
1: Mentality, yeah. yeah.
0: So Mike, there's like two types of people, right? The the machos that say, Oh, that's no problem, I could do that. And then there's me that looks at that saying, I could never do any of that.
1: Did you see where I started right now, where you put me on? Yeah. You said, uh, this is where the kitties warm up, and you put me to do the monkey bars. <laughs> I think I got maybe halfway. I yeah, took
0: my kids he's... to the park the other day. I couldn't make it across the yeah. monkey bar set at the, our that's local the park.
1: First, that's usually the first obstacle
2: course, right? The, yeah. the park, right, or at home, just making up things on the couch <laughs> and everything. But yeah, when you come into these kind of obstacles that are specifically designed to test you in movements and grip strength and endurance, uh, it's another level. And it's fun, though. That's the thing about it. It's just so fun once you start to get to that yeah.
0: one. Awesome. So so tell me uh, what an American Ninja Warrior is.
2: An American Ninja Warrior is an individual that applies for this TV show, right? This competition. And this competition is basically looking for the most well-rounded athlete in the country. And we're giving these these rounds, these courses to beat. And it's one and done. So you got to beat the course and move to the next one. And now there's, I think, 60,000 people that apply for this show. And they only pick 600, so your chances of getting picked are very slim. But it is a, a competition looking for the most well-rounded athlete. And that's something that I was really intrigued by because you have power lifters and you have Olympians that specialize in things, right? But this is looking for, this show is looking for the athlete that can do it all. Right, yeah. yeah do it all. And there's a little bit of little things here and there. But other than that, it's very well-rounded and just something I'm fascinated by for sure.
0: So it's, it's obstacle course racing. Uh, to, an, I mean, to, an extent, to to yeah. simplify, some some, right? some
2: some of it involves racing. Most of it, the, the majority part of it, American's Warrior itself is you versus the course, trying yeah. to beat the course. Correct. Right? Right. Um, okay. There's other programs now, like um, Ninja versus Ninja, where we're racing side by side on courses to see who's faster. Are they all Warrior. based off time? Is um, everything time? Not every round is the same. The first two rounds are not um, based on time; they're based on uh, qualification. So, like if on the first round, you have 100 athletes that were selected from across the country, right, for, for that region, and they're gonna take the top 30. So they're gonna take whoever finishes, right, the course off the bat, and if it's less than 30, then they're gonna take whoever had the next fastest times so up until they get to 30 in that region, and then you move to the next round.
0: And next round's in Las Vegas?
2: No, well, that's, so there's two qualifying rounds. So it's, it's very different, yeah. right? There's actually six courses to get to the to the very end, right? You have two qualifying rounds, you have, uh, you have the qualifying round, which is first, then you have city finals, Then you have Vegas, stage one, two, three, and four. So there's six. And uh, the first two rounds, you can get through by placing in the top 30 in the first round and the top 15 in the second round, the city finals. Those 15 are the ones that are taken to Vegas to compete on the full stage, Mount Midoriyama, and that one is four stages. There, it's one and done, and there's a time limit. So in the first two rounds, there's no time limit.
0: So... So it's become so popular, they've had to structure it in a way to whittle down who are the best of the best. Let's get them to Las Vegas. That makes up a majority of the show once you yeah. get to Vegas. I mean, the, the city finals, the qualifying, I mean, it does take up several episodes, but it seems that, you know, the prime time, the exciting yeah. part is the national when finals you, when in you Las get Vegas. to the national final.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a huge deal. It really is because most of the the people that are applying for the show, they have a passion for it, Right either they have a passion for the show because they're big fans of it or movement and exercise and, and human performance and, and mentalities and how can I make the most of myself You know, what what's the limitations on my body what, what I was given right and you're gotta go through a selection process and then you gotta actually perform when it comes down to it and it's like the biggest thing in your life at that moment when you're trying to on the course it's, and, it's
1: just so huge and I think what Abel says you have to have a passion for this certain kind of of obstacle course racing because this is not something that it's like baseball, football, uh, anything like that. So, you have to love what you're doing here to put the time into it, to put the, the dedication into what it right. takes to become sure. a Ninja Warrior.
0: And, and I, I want to dive deep into the mindset you have to have to train for something so intense. And we will, um, you know, what I want to hit home for our listeners is that this is not just like the obstacle course that comes to town. Uh, that you compete in to have fun with your friends. I mean, this is an intense, uh, professionally designed, engineer, huge oh, yeah. football field huge. long course. Yeah, they're, uh, they're really big. And, and in, in order to, to compete and at the level you have, and I, we'll, we'll get to that, is – you have to be a world-class athlete this isn't for the faint of heart
2: no i, I think if you're gonna go for the show and you want to win you need to be world class period yeah. i've actually just started using that like hashtag world class right because i look at it and the things that i do and, and things compared to other people the best in the world i'm right there like this is crazy that i'm world class if this were an olympic from sport, the
0: real grand valley baby <laughs>
2: right. if this is an olympic sport i would be an olympian you know and that's kind of what i was going for my entire life it's like trying to become a professional athlete right i wanted to be a pro And I had this desire put into me from my, like my father gave me this desire that I could be a professional football player. And I wanted to be a pro since before I could remember. And I realized that like last year that before I could remember, I knew that I wanted to be a professional football player. As I got older and realized that wasn't realistic, I went to professional athlete. What can I make the most of this? And where can I find that? Where can I still become a professional athlete? And this was the answer. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, that's it. There's no age limit. Anybody can do it. Uh, You know, it's movement. I, I love movement. It looks fun and... You I, fit I if the I category win, it, it, it fit me it right fit you. yeah if I win I get to get a million dollars for my family you know and I want to improve my area and build things that we don't have here and it was just perfect so I, I knew I had to go for it
0: awesome well let's start from the beginning you know what we try to do is inspire people maybe give them some hope that they too can can achieve great things just like Abel Gonzalez but let's talk about but we also try to give them some perspective that yeah. You know, not everybody was born with rings in their hands on monkey bars, with on third base, with every opportunity in the world. I mean, you have an amazing story. And so let's talk about that. Where, where were you born?
2: I was born in Chicago, Illinois, in 1983, and I lived there until I was 10 years old.
0: Okay. And, and tell me about the circumstances in Chicago.
2: Oh, man, it was rough. It was, it's a tough town to begin with. Uh, my parents were really young when I was born. My, my dad was 20 and my mom was 17. And my mom had already had my sister when she was 14. So, I mean, it was it was really tough on them. Um, my parents together, they had four boys. right? And we were living in Chicago, and the winters, they get so cold that you can die in the winter up there if you're not taken care of. And in the summer, it gets so hot, you can die from the heat. I mean, it happens every year over in Chicago. But then you also have, like, gang violence and, and racism. And it is just a really, really tough place to grow up. But I loved it. I loved living in Chicago because I was with my family. We were going through that together, and when I was 10 and you know my father he was he was an abusive alcoholic. Um, my mom decided to leave him and it just I mean everything was just changed overnight. everything kind of felt like it was going downhill like everything I lost access to my brothers. Um, my father went to jail. my mom uh, had her own issues to deal with, and she did a, a very unique type of abandonment you know to me and my brother Matthew. So it was really tough you know going through that. There were times when we were homeless. I mean, my, we would go in and out of like apartments and going from house to house, living with aunts and uncles. And you know, at the very you know at the very pinnacle, right before the divorce, I mean, we were living in a school bus. You know that were the chairs, were, the seats were taken out, of, we were living in that school bus. And, and my father was just getting worse. You know, treating my mom more and more worse, becoming more violent, and she just needed to she had to lose him. And he had an insane, violent outburst and went to jail because of that. And then you know my family was split down the middle my two my two uh, my sister and my two youngest brothers stayed with my mom in Chicago and me and my brother Matthew which were two older boys uh, were sent here to Texas
0: and who did you come here to live with I
2: I came to live here initially with my grandmother so
0: so so uh, how
1: was the how was the, the switch from from going from Chicago life to Rio Grande <laughs> Valley. Yeah, I life. can tell it's very different, right? The a
2: huge <laughs> contrast. I mean, in, in Chicago, you know, I played around and jumped around all over Because my dad, he had a tire shop there in a, in, a, in a flea market. That's where we lived. That's where we had the school bus park. But we lived in um, Maxwell Street Flea Market. It was a really famous, world famous place, but it's not there anymore. But it was just so, it's just so unique area. Uh, and we lived there. And we had tires, used tires, you know, that my father collected and sold and, and patched and things to people coming to the flea market. And I made obstacles out of that. You know, I, I jumped around. I had a football all the time with me, and I would just throw the football through the tires. So I was setting myself up, right, to become a professional football player. And my dad was just supporting me, watching me, but never put a lot of a pressure on me to become a pro right away. right? He never did, but he knew that, you know, watching him, like, he was an insane athlete. My father was just an incredible athlete still today. He's just crazy strong. But going from there, losing access to my father, uh, my mother, my two younger brothers, my sister, my cousins, you know, my mom, my mom's side of the family lived in Chicago, and coming over here to an all-new family, you know, without my parents, without half of my my, my brothers, without my sister, um, bit language barrier, you know, I had to learn Spanish and things. So, you know, it, it was really crazy because when we first got here, it was just this whole huge shift, right? And we had to just. It was it. There was yeah. no. There was no yes or no. There was nothing like that. My dad was in jail. Uh, he was gonna come down eventually because he's from here. And, but, I mean, like you see the movies when you go into the military and the first thing they do is they cut your hair off. Yeah. That's what happened to me. You know, <laughs> me and my brother Matthew, we got here and they they got us here and you got the same haircut now. Yeah, <laughs> I still have it. You know, I got the buzz cut, and uh, it was for different reasons. I mean, we had. I think they tell us we had lies and things like that. You know, yeah. we weren't being taken care of, so they shaved our head off, our hair off, and took our earrings out. My dad had earrings in us for, you know, that was the style, right, from my father. He was a very, very stylish person. And um, we uh, just had to get used to new cousins and new aunts and uncles and, and family and try to get by with other parents. And it was insanely tough. I mean, I don't talk about it very much because I think about those times and I literally for years just blocked all of that out. Yeah. And uh, when I first got here, uh, I, I must have cried for like a month straight, you know, at night just trying to go to bed. It was, it was really tough.
0: Well, I think it's important uh, for for folks like me who yeah. who have seen you succeed, and for folks who are out there who are going through their own struggles to hear that um, you know, things can happen. Great things can happen like that have happened for you. Uh, I remember seeing you for the first time on the show. I did not know we had a kid from South Texas competing, and my daughter, who's eight years old, who absolutely loves the show daddy, that's Edinburgh. Oh yeah, And we jumped up and, yeah. I, and I said, one day I'm going to meet him, sweetheart. And, and man, uh, it was as if I had known you my whole life. Oh, that's yeah. how hard I was rooting for yeah. you, brother, because, you know, I, I love to see great, great think, folks yeah, do good things.
1: When you see anybody from the Valley competing on oh, in a national television, on
0: TV, I was so At pumped sport. up. I, I think
1: automatically. One, yeah, I think Mike's yeah. got
2: it right. Like on this one, specifically this show, it's like they're, you can have an instant connection because they're just doing obstacles, mm-hmm. right? They're not, they are not—they didn't go through high school football, college football, yeah. like this whole process of becoming yeah. this thing that you knew that we were going to eventually come. Like, this is fun. These are obstacles and the kids are doing them. They love the show. They can connect to it. Uh, parents can connect to it. Grandchildren can, can, you know, everybody can connect and watch this because they're just out there having fun, moving, uh, beating obstacles. It's not a, a professional sport or considered a professional sport yet. So you can connect and you can relate. And then when you see someone from your area, it's just uh, like, oh man, yeah. this so is crazy, brutal. right? Cool, so, cool.
0: so let's talk about... Uh, well, you know, thank you for sharing. I yeah. know that that's not easy, and and I, I assure you that uh, by sharing, you're going to to help a lot of people who are who are listening, who are going through their own struggles. But what what we try to impress on people, you know, some people who are now very fit or very athletic or doing great things in sports were athletic as kids. Some were not. Our last guest was not. He was in the band uh, and later went on to be a great endurance athlete. Um, so. It seems though that you were pretty athletic growing up.
2: I I was, I was athletic growing up. It was just, it was just so natural for me to be jumping around. And I know that there's some people that are like that, you know, they have this athletic quote unquote, athletic gene and things. But I, uh, I still had to go through things to get to where I am today. And I did, I see, I saw athletics and foot and sports and obstacles and having fun with movement as an outlet, you know, for the trauma that I had experienced as a child. So I kept on playing despite everything, you know, I kept on so moving.
0: You, you come down here, you're 10 years old. Uh, from what I've read about you, conditions got better when you came
2: down here. For with, sure, I yeah, it was huge. My, my family was very supportive. They were, we, we had, I mean...
0: Love and yeah, support.
2: Everything from the environment too, right? Like having trees to climb and, and, and grass, right? Because, yeah. we didn't have that stuff. But my family here, they were just so supportive. I felt like, you know, my aunt became my mom, my mom, you know, and things like that. My uncle became my dad, and uh, we just clicked right away. It just took, you know, a little bit of a period of getting used to not, you know, because I lost my family, quote unquote, yeah. right? That's why I felt. So it was great. They were very supportive.
0: Did you start um, enrolling in Little League or soccer or pop Warner football?
2: No, we we were there. We were very poor. Yeah, we lived in, in outside of Edinburgh in a little town called uh, Doolittle, and it's. It, we were below the poverty line for sure i mean we didn't have hot water throughout the year and things like that uh, i mean um but i was with my family again like yeah. just come to this idea that you know you're with people that love and support you but right there specifically where i live it was really cool because we my grandpa had bought 10 acres of land we had this little little road passed through our our house and it was a dead end so along that little road it was 10 acres and each of my aunts and uncles had a piece of land on that 10 acres. Then they all put their house there. So that means all my cousins were my neighbors. Awesome. So that means that we could play football. We can go play tag. We can do all these things and, and always have like a team of people, you know, enough people to play sports. So we played sports a lot. We rode bikes together. And it was it was just great to to keep that athleticism, right, keep that going, and then just be able to have – people to play with, you know, my cousins and stuff. Was, it was awesome. It was really awesome because we bonded with that too.
0: You know, that that's such a shame that that story is not as common in this generation mm-hmm. for multiple reasons, safety reasons. We have a heightened uh, awareness of what could happen with our children being kidnapped or abducted or whatever. So we're so, we watch over them so closely. I went out and played with yeah. my cousins, I was running up and down the street. Like there was a point where I couldn't go past, right? Yeah. But I, I played outside all the time, and we live in a little neighborhood now where there's not a lot of kids my kids' age, and that seems to be the common story.
2: Yeah, it's for for us out there. It really was uh, just structured for us to be able to be playful without danger because yeah. it's very rural. It was, it was like, like a time.
1: compound, like yeah, compound
2: there. And, and honestly, we had even access to, like, monta and stuff, so we would yeah. go we would go hunting together, and my uncle taught us how to oh, hunt, yeah. and we would go at 12 years old and go get, like, rabbits and stuff, you know, we like, like kind of that kind of Texas life, right? It's it uh, <laughs> Yeah, and it was just, it was just a, a huge shift, and it, it was a great one because it kick-started this whole thing that um, people do love me, and I'm going to be taken care of. You know, I'm still a kid, but I now I know that life is going to be – it's not going to be fair, you know, but I can still make something out of it, and there are people that love me and support me.
0: So – 10 years old, you're, you're surrounded by family, getting back to a little more stability, normal life, you're in school. When do you start playing organized sports? Or do you?
2: Yeah, I do as soon as I can. Uh, I remember thinking, I was in fifth grade, I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to play football. I can't wait to play football. And it was in, in sixth grade when I started. And then that year they moved it from sixth grade to seventh grade. So then I had to wait another year. I'm like, oh my gosh, why do I have to wait another year? So, you know, I spent that year playing football again, getting more, you know, more athletic and trying to get stronger and things. I was in, in sixth grade now. And as soon as I turned, and as soon as I got to seventh grade, I just played football. Constantly played football. I constantly lifted weights, trained. Uh, I played for Memorial Middle School out there in uh, North Edinburgh. And we went undefeated, two years, you know, seventh and eighth grade. What
0: was your position? What did you play?
2: I was linebacker at oh, the time. Wow. Yeah, so I was a big kid, actually. Yeah. Bringing the pain. Yeah, I was a, I was a, a bigger kid. You know, I I was also heavier, too. I was yeah. a little bit overweight as a kid. I remember being in, in, I think, sixth grade, and I was 150 pounds. And I weigh that a little less than that now. You yeah, know? me too. So, yeah, you know, that whole concept <laughs> that, you know, you're lean and mean your entire life, so athletic. No, we tend to get overweight. You know, things happen, and that's normal, you know, but... It's your job, your responsibility to to seek health and fitness and then make the most out of the body you were given.
0: So you're you're in junior high, you're finally playing football, you go undefeated, you're experiencing success in sports. Uh, transition to high school. Tell me about high school, your yeah. athletics or fitness, your your physical health. Yeah.
2: I was doing pretty good. I was excited about going to high school and playing football. And then my freshman year, I went to Edinburgh and then there was just I ran into uh, favoritism you know, like favoritism with coaches and and players and things like that, and I didn't like that I I really didn't, and so much to the point where I just stopped playing football I I ended up quitting that year, that was kind of the first thing, and the last thing that I quit, I was really passionate about football, I wanted to play I wanted to take play all four years of high school I wanted to go into college and play and then go to the pros but that year, I just did not enjoy the way I was being coached, right, and the things that were happening there, the obvious favoritism, so I quit and then I ended up uh, moving with my dad in Missouri, so I went to Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh North High School for I think a month or two, and then I moved. Once I quit, I moved. I, I moved to Missouri to live with my dad. Uh, he was working out there. So he had
0: he had been out. out
2: yeah, out of he jail got, the yeah, time. he got out of jail. I think he got out of jail probably about six or seven months after the divorce. Yeah, so he was around even okay. And the in relationship touch. was good after that. No, no, no it still. was just worse. Yeah, it was really bad because he took the divorce really bad. You know, and, and he was already into drugs and alcohol, and so he, he just kind of became worse. You know, now without my mom, he lost the love of his life and his, half of his two boys you know, and his daughter. So he became worse and uh, drinking almost every day. So this is when you're with him in Missouri? no this this was here too here, yeah in here. the transition from elementary to middle school to yeah. freshman you know he's
0: around you're still having to yeah. deal with those issues
2: yeah definitely we had to deal with it and he became more violent because now we weren't kids you know we were, so he was a little bit abusive to me too he wasn't too abusive to my father but or to my brother Matthew but he was uh, at times uh, physically abusive to me but he was more more verbal right than anything and, and both of those are tough to, to deal with but uh, he was an alcoholic you know, and when I did my best to try to help him and for a long time, I thought it was my responsibility to try to get my father to quit drinking. And that was just a huge stress. Ever, ever since I was 10, I felt like that. And then when I was like 23, I kind of just let that go. Say, hey, he's an adult. He's going to make his own decisions. Um, he needs to take responsibility of his life. But you're, it's not my responsibility to try to change him. Yeah. So once I did that, I had this huge thing lift off my shoulders. And I was able to grow a little bit more and, and, and go after things that I really wanted to you know and, and care for people and love and, and let go of this idea that I could save my father, that I can get him to quit drinking. Yeah. That was tough, that was really tough.
0: So, all, all these things in your life and you're able to do what you've done. Uh, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're in Missouri, you're in high school. Did you compete in sports then or did you just
1: stay active?
2: I did, I stayed really active, but I tried football again because I was just in love with football. So I, there, I played my sophomore year, my junior year, and I did great, awesome. Yeah. it was awesome. Um, it was another different environment. I mean, in Chicago, when I went to school in Chicago, it was all African American. And then my two brothers, <laughs> me and my brother, two Mexicans, right? Uh, and then down here, we came out here and went to school. It was like, oh,
1: everybody's Mexican. Yeah,
2: so like, that's pretty cool. And then I went to Missouri. It's like, oh, everybody's white in Missouri, right? So we were the minority over there. And I was trying to play football. And after about three, I think two games, after summer training in two games I became, you know, varsity running back. You know, in, in running basketball. back. So you yeah. switched to the other side. I went to the exact opposite side because I didn't grow. Yeah. I didn't get bigger after that. But I was I knew what to do. I was I had always wanted to have the ball. I wanted to be either the running back or the quarterback. I wasn't fit for the quarterback as far as size, but running back I could do. And I would and I was tough. I was already really strong physically. And I'm like, I will get the ball and I will run through everything. You know, and awesome. that's what I did. Yeah, I did really well. Uh really enjoyed it. I played played for two years and uh, it was a tough place to play in because they had it. you know how yeah. traditions, they can stick with you, and they could either be good or bad. And where I went to school, the tradition was we weren't very good. But I did my best, and they did too, and we did, and we had a lot of fun with it. Uh, it was a unique bonding experience too because when I got there, I experienced racism, right? You know, being the only Mexican on the team and things. And by the time I left there, we all felt like brothers. So awesome. I think sports yeah. kind of do that. And, so does the and it military. brings you together. Yeah, they bring yeah. – you're forced to be – you know, to, to – unite us as brothers, right? Yeah, as humans rather than being a race. Awesome. So you graduate high school. um... That was tough. (laughs) That was really hard, actually. Let me just go into that really quick. Yes, please. Yeah, so in Missouri, I went to school in Missouri and then my father, You know, I was trying to live with my father. I was trying to be with him and stuff. And he was just, now he was a drug dealer. He was selling drugs and he got arrested and he was doing this and all these bad things. And I'm the varsity running back, right? So, like in the newspaper, people were like saying, oh man, look, this is a varsity running back, and there's his dad over there in jail. So, um,
0: and, and the one minority on the team. The yeah, one, not the you one, know, right. so it
2: wasn't like it was anything like hidden. So, then, um, which was really cool, but I worked at Dairy Queen at the time, and the mayor owned Dairy Queen. And he was like, hey man, um, if you need a place to stay, you know, I can. You can come and stay with us. Basically adopted me, right? Yeah. And I got to, you know, I, I got to, I, I wanted to do that. He was an incredible person. His name was Bob Corcoran. He was the mayor of that town for years, decades. Just one of the coolest people, one of my first, like, mentor father figures. And they taking me in really helped me because I, it took the stress off of what is my dad doing? What, should I go home to my dad? What's going on over there? And let me focus on work, during Queen, and football and i did that you know and it was, it was it was another great environment to be in very very, very do you, one of those I still keep in touch with him, him. He passed away but oh. i did i did every time i passed through there i would stop by and hang out with him at dairy queen and we would talk and him and his wife and carol but uh, some, he did he passed away from cancer but it was just
0: incredible. god sends his angels huh? uh it,
2: yeah. it was perfect right i mean that you go through life and it, even the challenges man they're coming when when you need them so that you can grow out you know grow out of them and become who yeah. you're supposed to be outside of that challenge
0: yeah that that's uh, that's amazing and so You graduate. Do you (laughs) move back? Still haven't got to
2: that part yet. Yeah, so I'm I'm a junior, right, living in Missouri, uh, living with the mayor. They took me in. And then uh, I visit my brothers. You know, my dad is causing problems. I I visit my brothers in Chicago from Missouri. And when I get there, I'm just blown away away by what's uh, going on. I had been visiting them off and on, you know, 15 and 16 sophomore and and junior year. But when I went over there for the summer, uh, between my junior year and my senior year, I saw that my brothers were just depressed. They were had no passion, no purpose. They were living there. My mom could not, you know, give them the attention that they kinda needed to 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 grow into, you know, try to make something successful of themselves. My mom had remarried, right? She had a new husband and she had three more boys. So she had like a whole new family to take care of. And then my two younger brothers were there and just you know not getting attention. And I I was seventeen, I saw that. I couldn't let my leave my brothers like that. My father was causing problems at home. He had just crashed my car, he was, in an, he was drunk driving, crashed my car. And I said, you know what? There's no point in going back to my dad right now. My, my brothers, they need me, man. They need me. I I want to get them out of here. I want to take them to Texas because Texas changed my life. My family there, they're so supportive. Let me take them from Chicago and take them to Texas and I'll just go back to Texas with them. I was 17, gonna spend my, my senior year there. Um, I asked my mom if I could do that, so I asked her, hey, let me take Eddie and Jacob to Texas. I'll take care of them there. Our family will help me. My brother Matthew will help me. Let us take care of them. And she told me, she told me two things. Um, I was 17, right? Hadn't even graduated high school, and she said, "Look, you're not responsible enough to take care of two kids." And she told me something else too, and I always just keep that to myself, right? But that that was huge to me right so if i'm not responsible enough to take care of my two younger brothers then i'm going to become that person that's what i said So okay i'm going to ask you again later so i didn't even go back home i stayed there i stayed there i finished my senior year there i gave up on football again because i didn't want to start all over again from the bottom you know I had to prove myself to get the, the varsity position and then again over there it was even though it was illinois there was still gonna be racism because the area that we were living in was majority white and I, had, I felt like I didn't want to go through all that again, right? So let me just focus on getting out of high school. Uh, because of all the moving around, I did not get a lot of credits, so I had to make up credits. I had to take classes that were freshman classes because they didn't line up with Texas. So it was really hard graduating high school. I worked two part-time jobs and then I went to night school and I did all these things so I can graduate on time because that was gonna be the first thing I was gonna show that I was responsible. Let me graduate. It'll also let. Me- No one in my family had graduated high school up until that point. I mean, let me just kickstart that. Let's at least do that. That way, I can start to work on this. And then once I graduated high school, I started working in in Chicago. In yeah, Illinois. Illinois,
0: And you're there. You're mentoring your your younger brothers. Matthew's back here in Texas. Matthew's here in Texas.
2: He's also off and on with my dad in Missouri. You know, just going through that. He's really he's going through his own thing too, right? We we both took it very differently. Me me and Matthew. Uh, Matthew got uh, very angry at first and I was very just sad right so he got very angry I got very sad um, he was rebellious and in and, and trouble you know and and things like that uh, fighting with people in school in and out of school so he took it that way and then but he wanted to hang on my dad him and my dad they, they had a, a really good relationship uh, better than mine right with my dad um, so yeah so then you know I'm, I'm working I got good job I just I'm 20 years old I bought a car in my own name you know I said I, I did all that I had a good job and I asked my mom again if I could take them to Texas. And when I was 20, she said yes, that we could take them. And, and so you guys we, came to Edinburgh? Yeah, same thing that we did over there. You know, that happened to me when I was 10. I, I got legal custody of them. Uh, me and Matthew decided that we were going to team up and bring them down here and raise them here work and do everything like that and have them go through school, finish middle school and high school. And we brought them here.
0: So you have legal custody of yeah. your younger brothers. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I did that because there was a specific reason. When my, my mom, there was one point in there where my mom let my brothers, Eddie and Jacob, come down to Texas to visit. Uh, and so they can be with us, right? Me and my dad and my brother Matthew. She did that. And after a few months, you know, they started going to school. stuff. So, so they were going to be here for a while. But after a few months, she was just sad, right? You know, missed her, her boys and things. Um, and they set up this elaborate thing to come and get Eddie and Jacob. My two younger brothers and take them back. So what they did, and I say they because it was my aunt and my mom together, they uh, basically set up this thing where my mom would come down, not tell anybody, wait for my brothers to get out of elementary, pick them up, and then just go straight to Chicago. So they didn't tell my aunt, my grandma, me, Matthew, my dad, nobody. So like in a way, they kind of came down and stole them, like, yeah. but they were my mom's children. They were, she had custody of them. So this time around, I didn't want that to happen, so I said, we're going to sign some paperwork so we can do this. And I, and I wanted you to trust me. And in the in the paperwork, we had criteria, you know, that I was gonna bring them every year, at least once a year, to meet, to see you, to hang out with you on vacation. And we would drive up from Chicago, uh, from Edinburgh to Chicago every year, we did that. And sometimes we did it twice a year, and, and I kept my word on that. And that's how it worked out.
0: So, you experienced more by the age of 20 than most people do in a lifetime, yeah. in terms of hardship and, and overcoming, perseverance. I got to hand it to you, man. I mean, you, you, you hung in there, bro.
1: It, it was really tough, but the
2: thing was, is I loved my brothers, right? Like, I've always had a huge passion for my family and, and being with them. And um, so this was just something I had to do. You know, like, I wanted to do it, but I also had to do it. And, like, that was just 20, you know, and I started working to support them. And I would work away from home at times in the oil industry and come back and I'd be away for months, come back and things like that, send money home. And I mean, when we first got here, we didn't even have electricity. We didn't even have uh, we we didn't even have water. I think it took a couple days to get water on, but we didn't have hot water like the whole time. And then electricity took like two weeks for us to get electricity at the place that we were gonna you know me and my brother were gonna live. Uh, my uncle let us borrow one of like his house that we could stay in. So then we started working. Me and Matthew, you know, trying to, to get two kids through middle school. So then you gotta buy like school clothes. You gotta take them to get registered for school. Like all that stuff. At you At know, 20, twenty, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then later on in life, when I was like 26, I was working on the road in 25, and I would be a supervisor like in a month. You know, at this new job, I was in oil industry, and I was supervisor in a month. And everybody was like, well, why is this guy supervisor? He's only been here a month. It's because I was like good at adapting and making stuff. Yeah, and I, and I was solid, right? And and I would tell them, look, I know I'm 26. But I've, I'm 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 50 already. I got kids through high school already, right? yeah. so I'm older. I'm much older, so that's why and the, the supervisors and the bosses they can see that they saw something. Yeah.
0: So, uh, tell me about your health. You had a, a interesting diagnosis oh, as a young man.
2: Yeah, just telling the story is crazy. Yeah. Thinking about going through all that stuff. You're right. Yeah. You know? I was 23. Uh, well, when I got here from Eddie, from Chicago with my brothers, I started getting a dull pain in my knees. And I was wondering what that was. And I remember hearing all my life because I was so athletic jumping around everywhere, right? And my aunts and uncles and my parents are always yelling at me like, Hey, slow down. You're going to have bad knees by the time you're 30. Right. You know, you're gonna, you're, when you're 40, you're going to be like you're 80. You're like not growing they, you know, up in the valley. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Don't go outside. It's cold. You can't get sick. Right. Yeah. Right so they're
2: telling me all these things about my knees hurting in the joints. So, so I'm 20 and I'm getting this dull pain. I'm like, well, that was fast. You know, that came up way quicker than I thought. And playing football for so long and training I thought I was just getting general arthritis right so I, okay well I gotta go to work let me take some painkiller I gotta go to work I gotta be in Missouri or I gotta be in New Orleans I gotta be in Wyoming or Utah or somewhere working right so I had to go to work so I took painkillers uh, for three years uh, every day in the morning at night I had to take painkillers because that pain grew it grew it kept getting bigger and bigger and at one point I couldn't walk anymore couldn't walk without the painkillers I couldn't even open and close my hands without the painkillers and it would usually be like two or three days where if I didn't take the painkiller my hands wouldn't want to respond anymore they want to open because it hurt too much to open and I was here at home one time I was thinking I was 23 I was getting ready to go outside here in Edinburgh to go do something whether it was like long work I can't remember what it was or go play some, some kind of sport or hang out with my cousins and I, was going, I went down to tie my shoe. I had some shorts on, and I saw my knee, my right knee, and I freaked out. I, went, I jumped back. I saw it, and I just didn't look real. What is that? I thought I was dreaming. Like, that's not my knee. I mean, that means alien and weak. It was very different. I saw it, and I freaked out. I instantly looked at the other one to try to confirm what's going on here, and it was the same thing. They were just deforming. They were destroyed. They were very alien. They were very weak. And that's when I knew something serious was wrong. And I had been putting it off for three years, and uh, the next day I went to the doctor, the next day.
0: Okay, so you go to the doctor. How quickly did they diagnose you, and what did they say you had?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was 11 years. Yeah, 11 years ago now, and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis.
0: Uh, Rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah,
2: very rare autoimmune illness that uh, just deforms your body in front of you, and I try to explain it to people. The pain from this illness when I speak at schools and things is, if you've ever broken the bone, and most people have, yeah. like, you're really athletic and stuff, which just having fun, kids break their bones all the time, then imagine that your bones are breaking in the joints where it's affecting them every day, all the time. Like, there's no break from it. And that's the kind of rheumatoid arthritis I had. There was no break. People get flare-ups. You know, some people are like, oh, yeah, I have a flare-up for rheumatoid arthritis. But me, it was just constant all the time.
1: And that's crazy, you know, all, having to take those painkillers all the time to suicide the pain for years. I mean, what does that do to you? also yeah. your mind for you're, sure you're, you're, you're relying on this uh,
2: yeah and even even like use the words like addicted right because i had to if not if, if either that it was either that or just being pain all, all right. the time and if that kind of pain you can't move your body won't even listen to you if you tell it to move that's and, the kind and of and for
0: someone whose whole life was athletic uh very you know wanted to be a professional f- football player uh very active mm-hmm. that must have come
2: as a big blow. It was devastating. It was devastating because I relied on that stuff as an outlet, you know, playing sports and moving and training and all these things. It was an outlet from all of those things that I went through, the traumas. So then to be told like, hey, you're going to lose it. And this is the way I was told. I was told, hey, you have rheumatoid arthritis, you have about seven years of movement left. After that, you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. Either that or you're going to need to replace uh, your right hip and both of your knees because
0: you got a bad case you got
2: it bad you got it really bad it's really fast you're 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 done pretty much right uh they told me there was nothing they could do for me it's an incurable autoimmune disease right i have it now and that all we can do is give you a prescription for a bigger pain medication a stronger one and i oh man and i went by myself right to the doctor i was my own my own parent right my parents weren't around and i did that i went by myself and I was in shock, right? I went through everything. I was shocked. I was confused. I was angry by the way I was told. Um, and all those things, they just, I just hit a point and I just said, it's not going to happen. Not going to let it happen. I, I grabbed that. I, I, uh, I went into the car that day, I had the prescription in my hand and I crumpled it. Like I, I was making a statement right? because I was going to convince myself that I could do this. So I crumpled the paper, the prescription, I threw it away, never looked at it again. I don't, I don't even know. I just threw it away. I said, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to get this medication. I'm already taking a painkill. But that's not gonna happen to me. I'm gonna stop it. I'm gonna find a way. If they can't help me, that's okay. I'll do this myself. My body is confused. This is an autoimmune disease, so I need to figure it out. It's not a virus from some different place. You know, it's not a bacterial infection. This is my body being confused, attacking itself. Why? Why? And that's what I started with.
0: And, and, well, first of all, that's a very mature realization to make at such a young age but frankly you had to make a bunch of mature decisions in your life so uh there was a person who was going to be challenged with it you were already you hardened Uh, you were already granted man you had been through through life and so uh you said all right you know tell me you 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 said i'm going to cure myself i'm going to figure this out you just started researching Mm -hmm. and let, let me ask you when you were diagnosed you were working a lot You were already in pain. You had younger people, younger siblings to take care of. How were you physically at that time? Were you overweight?
2: overweight? Yeah, I was overweight. I weighed 186 pounds. And I I, I, was 40 pounds lighter, 40 pounds heavier than I am now. So, I was overweight. I wasn't eating healthy. Fast, was,
1: food, fast food, whatever yeah. was I mean, when you on easiest. the road like that, yeah. Own, whatever you see at night, you get home, yeah. you're hungry. I'm gonna get what
2: first thing I see, yeah. And, and I was making a lot of money, so it didn't matter as far as like what, what I'm gonna spend the money on. So it was, it was, it was just very neglectful to my body, yeah. yeah and I, I've actually like written posts, you know, and things that I'm gonna put like in a book and stuff about what it really means to appreciate your body, right? This, this temple, yeah, it really is. It's your gift, it's your first gift, and then we just take it for granted right and I did that you know just like everybody else and when I when I realized that it was going to be taken away, that's what it took for me to change it. Was a catalyst, right? To, to make these changes. And so, studied, what changes
0: did you make? You started researching, yeah. getting on the phone. You're like, okay, I need to exercise, diet. How, how did it start? So
2: it wasn't that exercise. was your that was
0: your why, right?
2: Yeah, it, it wasn't just I wasn't gonna let my life go away that way. This was my life. I had already made a lot of decisions on on taking control, right? Taking responsibility. That's the huge thing that this year, last year was all about was teaching people that if they take responsibility, they can make almost anything happen. So I took responsibility for it, and it wasn't exercise that helped me because I was already exercising. I was already playing sports. It wasn't movement. Movement was already there. It was nutrition. And that's the biggest thing, right? It's, you can train seven days a week, but if you're not eating healthy, you're not going to win that battle, right? You're going to get overweight and you're going to have issues. You're going to need a detox, autoimmune, everything you can name it, right? So eating healthy was the biggest thing. I didn't even know how to eat healthy. I never even ate vegetables as a kid. I remember going to McDonald's and just taking out the lettuce and tomato or ordering it with just ketchup and cheese, right? Like burgers and yeah. things like that just was very ailing to me to eat vegetables. Even here, when I got here, it still wasn't a big deal for me to eat vegetables. So as an adult at 23, trying to eat vegetables was terrible, man. I couldn't stand it. It didn't taste like anything. Salads, I was like, I don't want to eat healthy. But I had to, right? I had to and I wanted to to save my body. So that meant I wanted to. And I got used to it. I ended up making a, a, a shake, that I could blend with fruit that made it so that I could eat lots of kale and bananas and spinach. And so that's what I did. I, I drank a shake a day and started looking into nutrition for supplements and what it takes to rebuild cartilage because my joints were destroyed. I mean, I, I couldn't even walk without being afraid of my knee just collapsing inward on itself, you know. So I used, I, for a while there, I wore braces on both knees, carbon fiber braces, uh, just so that I wouldn't tear my knees while I was trying to repair them and get them back to normal. Uh, but yeah, it's studying health and nutrition, I, I read article, everything that I could see on health and nutrition for months, now it's years, right? But for months till three, four in the morning, looking for stuff, looking for people. I was looking for people that had rheumatoid arthritis and found a way around it. And every once in a while, I ran into something that, yeah, this helped me and it, it was really weird, whatever it was, I tried it, it didn't matter. I tried everything and I, I finally got a rhythm and I said hey it's three four months into it you've been eating healthy you've been figuring this out you've been trying all these crazy things you need to get off of the painkiller to see if it's working yeah so I just picked a day and I stopped taking over-the-counter medication and I knew I had three days before I could tell if it was working because it takes a little while for that to get out of your system right and day one day two everything's normal and then on day three uh, I just knew it man I knew it I could move my hand it was listening to me it wasn't in pain that I had done something special. I knew it.
0: Abel, I gotta tell you, man, uh, I'm at a loss for words. Uh, About five years ago, I was diagnosed with lupus. Mm. I I had my own scare. I was in constant pain. I remember at the height of it, I couldn't turn the car keys to start my car because it hurt so much on my wrist. Um, But I was so busy raising kids, being a young, uh, husband and a professional, and I just neglected going to the doctor just like you. And uh, I didn't even, I didn't, I'd never liked taking medication, so I was just living with the pain and just thought, well, you know, I'm, I, I just have pain, right? I'm getting to an age, I was a little bit older, I was in my 30s. Uh, and one day my wife saw that I couldn't turn the car on and she took me to the, to the doctor. Yeah. And I was diagnosed with lupus and it was interesting because right before I walked into the doctor, my sister-in-law, I was telling her about my symptoms and they were going to give me my diagnosis later that day. And She's like, well, I just hope it's not lupus because you'll probably end up dying. And then the doctor said, uh, you have lupus. So I got scared. Yeah, right. I was like, oh, my it. God, I have a little girl. You know, I'm yeah. thinking now I have to live with like I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. But, you know, thank God I've responded really well. But I had never had your maturity to think. I could take control. I just took whatever medications they put in front of me, and I was I was a victim to my illness. I mean, you conquered it. I mean, you didn't just like get proactive. Oh, you yeah. you destroyed
2: that yeah. man. You ninjaed that, right? Definitely, yeah. I I mean, I think about it. I was diagnosed. They told me there was nothing they can do. I had seven years left, but in four months, I already had results. You know, so so my head just went. If I can do that,
1: man, I can do anything. What about the, the motivation maybe to anybody that might be listening like
0: how if many people going through
1: it you Mike
0: know. you've been training people fifteen years you've come to pe- you people come to you with uh mm-hmm. being diagnosed with all sorts of things and how many of them just give up
1: more than eighty percent
0: right the they just get depressed they yeah. they go into a, a a dark place you definitely
1: and, have to be strong minded to, yeah. to get through it and, and know where you and see yourself being somewhere uh, you, you want you didn't want this disease to take over. Yeah. So you knew you had to change somewhere. Yeah,
2: I, I think too. The biggest thing from what I'm noticing is that it's if you don't take responsibility for what's going on around you, then you're gonna blame it on somebody else, and now it's you're relying on them to take responsibility. And they're not gonna take responsibility for you, right? It's hard for us yeah. to take responsibility. Extreme for, ownership, so, right? Yeah. If you take ownership of what's going on in your life, you can start to create rather than just let it happen to you, right? So that's what I did, you know. I, I always wanted to make the most of this, right? I, from the beginning, I wanted to make the most of this. I wanted to be elite. Right? So then to have it being taken away, potentially taken away, it was easy for me to make changes because I, I had people to take care of, my family, my brothers, and I wanted to make the most of this life. I wasn't going to give up on it despite all the circumstances things and that I had gone through. And after slowing down, like to literally getting rid of the pain completely, something else that I was still going to have forever, right, In this illness. I kept on going. I said, "Why stop, man? My neck hurts, or and why stop? My my calf hurts. My why do my why does my shoulder hurt?" And I just asked these questions and then looked for answers. And then I started applying everything that I could. And by the time I knew it, I was 25. I was 10% body fat. I was strong, healthy. My knees were good. I was I was just killing it. Like at twenty. So yeah. what?
0: we So, I mean, maybe. There's still a lot of access to playing sports, but in, in your 20s, unless there's you know a, a softball league mm-hmm. or a flag football league, That's what how I were did. you? That so yeah, were you me. lifting weights traditionally? Yeah. So yeah. were you getting in the gym? Like I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do chest and back. Oh, I'm gonna man. go run. I'm gonna. Or, or were you like I'm gonna stay in shape by just going to play a pickup basketball? Game? No, I
2: got very detailed into it. I uh, i had subscriptions to Mantel. I had subscriptions to all kinds of. Uh, Nutrition so, uh, magazines and and training, so, uh, magazines. Just everything that I could get my hold my hands on, I did. I absorbed it all. I I took in everything. I tried everything, everything from mass gainers supplements to uh, seven days a week or six days on working just specific muscle groups. Everything I went through that whole thing, uh, joining a membership, a gym. You know, ten dollars a month, working out three times a week. I did everything you can think of, as far as training types, goals. What are the outcomes you want? to nutrition right everything like oh i'm gonna eat to gain mass, right like just to bulk up and yeah i got i got really really i got i was big you know i was bigger i was i was 186 Some, then i turned that from 186 like overweight body high body fat percentage to uh percentage to like man 175 and, and looking lean and good and strong man i i, I actually could play running back you know I, I would be a good running back 185 you know uh, in college and things so i i got to that body type and then one day, I was—I think I was throwing the football, and my, my arm bumped into my chest. Like, it hit. You know, I was like, oh, my, I lost some range of mo- movement here. You well I you was get getting big. bigger. I'm like, oh, <laughs> man, I'm losing movement. Well, I don't want to lose movement. Getting bigger is cool and looks good and stuff, but movement is my passion, right? And, and playing sports, I can still play sports because I was in City Leagues now, flag football. You don't need to be buff and get flag football down here. So I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to get big anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get as strong and light and agile and fast as possible. Let's do that. That's what I went for when I, I was playing flag football. And, and then and I you,
0: you learn how to do that on oh, your own. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: I, so you cue yourself on your own. <laughs> you learn how to be a dad at 20 on your own. You learn then how to transform your body from being bulking up mm-hmm. to being agile. Uh, any type agile. of body type. Yeah, yeah,
2: basically any body type. And, and, and so did,
0: did, you, did it ever occur to you that all these things working against you that you weren't supposed to do any of those things
2: yeah it does and every once in a while it hits me it's like man I'm,
0: you know, how the hell did i do that i
2: was one i'm one of the best quote, like almost one of the best athletes in the country all around athletes right just based on the american jewelry the show itself right man i'm one of the best and i'm supposed to be in a wheelchair i was, this i'm supposed to be four years into a wheelchair right now
0: well no you're yeah. supposed to you're, not <sighs> only that man you, given your childhood and your background Forget the illness. Yeah. Forget the illness. You, yeah. I mean, there, there's so many different paths you could have gone down. I yeah. mean that speaks testaments to your perseverance and commitment to yourself and bettering yourself. And we look at so many people that are born into tremendously better circumstances mm-hmm. that don't take advantage of those circumstances.
2: I, I think those circumstances that I was like born into or these hardships we have, they're setting you up. You know, they're, they're there to test you. Uh, I put a quote out the other day that I saw the, the universe will test your commitment, you know, like to whatever you're committing to. And my commitment was to either be there for my family or make the most of this, this life you know, or take care of my body. Like I had commitments, right? So the universe will test you in that. I mean, basically, if I relied on sport and movement to get me through this traumatic events and then being told by a doctor that it's going to be taken away uh you're, that's, a, that's a test, right? I, I have Huge to ask, test. Matt,
0: how did, as a kid, 10 years old, coming down here, going back and forth, Missouri, Chicago, the Valley, oh, uh, taking care of younger brother's uh, illness, were there common things you thought about uh, common movies you watch, or a m- soundtrack for life—you have your Eminem or whatever. I mean, what was it that you know? Did you pump your chest and say, "I will not quit. I will persevere"?
2: I—I I think my dad put this idea to me that I can be my own boss, right? Now, if we, if we look at that in a more spiritual way, I can be my own creator, right? There's going to be circumstances, but I can create something out of that. What I want. I still, despite rheumatoid arthritis, despite uh, taking care of my brothers and, and going through all those hardships and moving around so much, I still wanted to create a professional athlete out of myself. You know, so I kept that.
0: You never I, lost that dream. I never You're lost it. You're working that dream. in the oil fields. I literally
2: said, "Hey, put it on hold. You got to take care of Eddie and Jacob. It's okay. on hold. If I come back to it in time, I come back to it. But whether it never happens or not, I'm still gonna make my body that. I'm still gonna be that in myself. If there's a, if at some day." I run into something where I can test that, like American Ninja Warrior. Then I'm gonna go for it. All
0: okay. Right now, okay. No, All right. So let's get to either. American Ninja Warrior. Yeah. All right.
2: All right. Okay. Yeah. So,
0: you, you, your, your younger brother's a little older now. Mm-hmm. Um, you're healthy. Uh, you're transforming your body. You're 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 ready. You're like a lion, ready to pounce. And then. How do you get exposed to American injury?
1: Yeah.
2: Well, just really quick before we get started that, yeah. because I, I want to show the, some more stages, right? Please. Yeah, because I was 25. I was killing it. I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm 10% body fat. I'm, I'm working at the hospital. I worked at a hospital here called a Doctors' Renaissance Hospital. What did you do? I would just worked for the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. I, I even, like, gave up on college and stuff. You know, I dropped out of college. I was going to go for PTA to be uh, working physical therapy. Yeah. But... I uh, was doing healthy, doing great, eating healthy, figuring out what I meant to eat healthy. And then I'm 26, right? And I know that college days you can't play, like you're 26. You're, you can't play in football anymore after, after 26. And I, I wouldn't have taken that traditional route I and mean, everything. All that stuff had passed, right? And my brothers are good, right? They're doing good. They're older. They're they're doing their own thing. They're becoming they're famous. My, yeah. my little brothers, they're major crew for, on YouTube. So they're doing their own thing. They taking off. They're they're world known, winning competitions with GoPro and Red Bull and all these things. They're doing great. So uh, I can go back and focus on myself again. What did what I really want to do? I wanted to be a professional athlete. Um, so then I shifted. At 26, something really crazy happened um, that I didn't know was going to affect me in that way. But my dad got diagnosed with uh, colon cancer. I think it was stage three. It was very it was very intense because he was he was going to die. That's basically it. He was really sick. He had never taken care of his body. He had been in all kinds of health situations. Um, my my father has nine lives, like no doubt. He's an alcoholic drunk driver he's crashed like four or five times like serious totaled vehicles four or five times he's been shot he's been gang like gangs have beaten him up like all kinds of things my dad but he was just crazy strong that's why it took like a lot to to hurt him but um even when he got shot, he grabbed that person and beat the crap out of that person. Wow. <laughs> yeah, even though he was... <laughs> I would have been running. Sounds yeah, like Mike G. So he was just an incredibly strong strong guy. But when he got diagnosed with cancer, man, like that hit me. Like, oh, man. Because I had always had, in the back of my head, even as a kid, I had always had this fear of dying of cancer. It was, I guess it was a big deal when I was little or something. But I just kept hearing it like, oh, man, nothing will kill me. But cancer, would, like that's how strong I thought it was, or I would not—I was not gonna die in an accident because I can avoid accidents. I was so athletic and so in tune, I would avoid that stuff. But cancer would, would probably gonna be the way that I'm gonna die. So when I, when my father got got diagnosed, it just hit me hard. I'm like, first, I'm gonna do whatever I can to help this guy. This is my dad. I love him, right? I'm gonna do whatever I can to help. I'm gonna study cancer. I shifted from autoimmune diseases to cancer. I learned everything I possibly could about it, and I tried to help him. Man, he was stubborn. He took some of the advice. He survived. He did, like, thankfully, you know, he. He had to go through all the surgeries and chemo and everything, but he survived. He's still alive now. But that introduced me into something else that took my athleticism and my health to another level, and that was fasting, intermittent fasting. fasting. Yeah, I ran into that, and I had hit a plateau in my own health. I was about 155 pounds. I was at 10% body fat. I couldn't cut any more body fat. I wanted to. I wanted to get down to like 6 or 7 or 5%. I wanted to see if I could do it. And I had been in a plateau for about a year and a half and I'm like, well, what else can I do? I'm eating five, six meals a day and I'm eating healthy and I'm training three, four times a week, I'm playing sports. Why am I not losing more body fat? And then I ran into intermittent fasting and I started applying that because of its ability to, to eradicate cancer cells, right? Pre-cancer cells and things. And it just took my health to another level. I was just, man, I got down to 5% body fat. I was lean, stronger than ever. I was alert. I was, I was just, it was just superhuman, right? So I'm 26, and, and then I, I just, from there, just really focusing on how can, because with fasting, you're kind of working with hormones and stuff and, and time cycles and eating cycles and training cycles. And I learned about all of that, and I applied it all, and I was just becoming insane. Like, oh, man, I couldn't believe how athletic and strong I was at 26, 27. And then at 28, I saw American Ninja
0: Oh man. I ran into
2: it so, on YouTube.
0: So, I'm going to have to text you later or send me some <laughs> papers to read on intermittent fasting. Yeah, it's that, incredible. I like how that sounds. It's, it's
1: incredible. incredible. It's definitely something that takes time. You have to It is a patient period. It, right? Yeah. So it's not just going to be like a So, me, so if I don't eat tomorrow, I don't I don't gain. It. <laughs> no, there's there's of muscle things. The
2: yeah, yeah, there's methods, there's different types of variations. It's it's unlimited. You make you make what you want out of it that's going to work for you but the idea of intermittent fasting that's a daily fast or you can do like a weekly fast or monthly fast but you're learning to fast because it allows your body to do things that it wouldn't normally do if you're constantly eating um just like i don't know how to say this word anymore but i think it's autopathy. but when you're fasting your body does a scan of your of your, all the cells so like if you haven't eaten for a while um, your body will say hey we haven't taken any calories there's no energy let's do a system scan and get rid of all the cells that are not efficient that are running yeah. with dirty filters like just let's just say that right let's get rid of those cells because they're causing they're, they're taking up vital minerals and, and oxygen and calories we're not getting in calories so let's get rid of those bad cells and those usually tend to be cancers at some point so it'll literally go in and kill its own cells that are not effective and efficient so then you start to get this system that's super clean ready to roll ready to rock ready to learn adapt and feel superhuman just because you're you're not eating as often as you used to it's really really incredible it's one of those things that it's worth looking into as far as is there a book uh
0: that you would recommend that's a great primer to start trying intermittent intermittent
2: fasting fasting? uh not specifically I, i Studied a lot of articles and online things and videos, but I don't have like a specific resource that I recommend right now I wrote something from everything that I did like the way I do it I wrote that down. I gave out recommendations and things like that and I have a program that like, where, where can
0: our, our, our listeners find that
2: there? They can find it on the website They can message me and things like that We'll reach out to them once it's really ready for like the public, but it's in the works It's been done for a while now. We're just finishing all these things But it's a program that I made that got me where I am Awesome. Yeah, everything from nutrition to Sign me up. to training methods, Sign me up, baby. Med- training mentalities what yeah. you should be thinking about when you're doing these exercises and everything that I do it's 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 going to be in a program and available yeah and it's just the proof is on the show when you see me do these things and you see it live or whatever and my ranking and all this stuff stage 3 ninja and beginning close to winning the show my, you know my second year I was so close to winning a million dollars all of that is just proof that what I put on that paper works Awesome. But it's everything that I studied, and I did it by myself yeah. first.
0: Well, let's talk about American Ninja Warrior. So this show has gone from obscurity, a little cult following, yeah, G4, sure. to prime time, baby. Yeah, You know, ratings are great. It's coming back for another season. Uh, you see it on YouTube for the first
2: time, mm-hmm. and did it automatically click? Like, I want to do that. It, it, it did click automatically, like, but in a different way. It, it clicked because... What I saw these athletes were doing, to me, was impossible. And I was already like, oh, man, I'm elite. I can't believe how strong and athletic I am, and look at all these things I can do, and everybody's freaking out whenever they see me. But then I see them, and I'm like, oh, man, those guys are on another level. level. How did they get there? You know? But I said to myself, if they're doing it, then I can do it. Like That was the instant mentality. If, they, if they're out there beating these obstacles, then I can do it too. I just got to figure out what they're doing, talk to them, meet them, train with them, figure out all these things, and line it up. And if I do it step by step, that ability has to come. There's no way it's not going to come. Yeah. yeah, that's my mentality. Like if I do everything step by step and work real hard, you, no shortcuts. You, you have to have like intentional training, right? Intentional practice. Oh, Why are you going to work hard, right? I love that word. Why intention. work hard? Dude, lots of people work hard. Yeah. You can find many people that work hard, but they're not doing what, what they really want to do. Right, so I when I hear the word work hard, yeah, you need to work hard, but you need to work smart. Like, why are you working hard? You know, it's got to be a specific thing. You gotta have step by step, and the you can say God or the universe, whatever you want, spiritual, whatever your spirituality is. But if you do the thing step by step, it has to come. It's not gonna pick on you. The God's not gonna pick on you. The universe not gonna pick on you. If I train to lift 150 pounds and this guy's doing it and he's doing the same thing and he's reached 150 pounds, then I can reach 150 pounds. If I do the exact same thing.
0: Right. Yeah. So so <laughs> you know what we get in, you know, we're we're we love our product, right? Orange Theory Fitness has gotten it's sweeping the nation, I think it's getting a lot of people healthy. It is an option uh for, for people's fitness. But sometimes when people come in our studio they tell us, Oh, it doesn't matter how much I exercise mm-hmm. or what I eat, I can't lose weight or get in shape. Oh. That's scientifically, biologically impossible, right?
1: Yeah. I well, mean it, that's
0: impossible. It, it,
1: and also based on, on on the results you're getting, the calorie burn, all that yeah. good stuff, you you have to lose weight. You just have to be eating.
2: These, I have this this idea that, and I learned this from intermittent fasting. When you learn to work with hormones, things that happen that don't make sense, right? So hormones are so powerful that they determine right off the bat whether you're a male or female, right? Like that, like they're huge. Everything so. Hormones are so powerful that they can make things that don't make sense happen inside your body. So the example is that I can have a low calorie diet, I can fast and have one meal a day, and I can do that, but as long as I'm training, I'm stimulating hormones that will make me make one and a half pounds of muscle in two weeks. Like I can do that, three weeks, two pounds of muscle a month, two pounds of muscle, three pounds of muscle a month. But that doesn't make sense, right? But with hormones, it does. And another example of that is that illegally, right? I don't do anything illegal, by the way. I do this all natural. It's just me understanding how the hormones are, are, how they work and how they're released, right? Or activated. But perfect example is is you have someone who's a bodybuilder and and they're working out. If they're injecting testosterone, what? They're going to build more muscle. They're going to have more endurance. They're going to have all these systems working more effectively. That doesn't make sense. The body, at one point when you're a bodybuilder, it was never meant to look like that. But it does because of these things, right, that these steroids or these um, hormones. And you could literally take a couch potato, right, and inject him with testosterone, and he's going to burn fat, and he's going to make muscle, and he can still have the same, same, same life. It's really weird. It's not like an insane amount, but it's been proven. Like, that's the case because hormones, and they're so powerful. So that's just one thing. So when you have something like that, when someone comes in, then they need to check their hormones, right, because that doesn't make sense. But if you're eating healthy, you have a clean body, You're detox, your mentality is right. Your mentality is huge because you're talking it's to yourself everything. all day. Yeah, All day. Yeah. Right. So you've got to tell yourself good things, right? And then from there, at some point, everything, it has to work. You have to lose weight. You have to get stronger. You have to get better. You, right. there's, no, there's no way around it. Yeah. I don't believe in the, the, the whole genetic weakness thing. Yeah. I, uh, we have genetic susceptibilities. Yeah. But everybody's human. you got a body. You can maximize it in any way you want.
0: You ever heard of 10,000 hours? Uh, yeah, Malcolm put, Gladwell, in the times, put in yeah. ten thousand hours. Yeah, be, anybody can be world class at anything. They put ten thousand hours. You know what the math on that is? That's five hours of work a day for ten years. Yeah. So, I, it could happen.
2: Yeah, you yeah. know, and, and there's other guys like Tim Ferriss that say you can do it sooner, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. The, well, the, the, the human I think, dude. I think the difference from what Tim Ferriss is saying is compared to the ten thousand hours is that the intention, the intention, you know, the intentional, everything. Like I read this book. I think it's called Peak. But they, they 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 really focus on this word uh, this idea of intentional practice, intentional steps, and that's it. Like the like that's the one thing. If you can do that, you can do it much faster than ten thousand. Right. right. And you can learn also from people that have already done it. Even like a person that's done it ten thousand hours, and they did it. They can teach you to do it a lot faster because they went through it and they know right. it's quicker. Right. Because right. I'm all self-taught. Like everything I did was all self-taught. Now I can teach the people, and they can they can be so athletic they can be just catch up to me in like a year, two years. Catch up to me, yeah. right? It took me you know, 12, 13 years right, to get to where I am, but they can do it much quicker.
0: So you see the show, how do you go from I see it to I want to get on it? And how did you get on it?
2: Yeah, I uh, I saw the show on YouTube, I freaked out, I, I wanted to pursue it, I looked into it, I saw every YouTube video I could see, just like everything else, just in, in golf, right? I'm just throwing myself into it full blast. I saw everything I could see, learned about the athletes and their history, what they do, then i uh, i saw the show one day like probably like months later i was watching tv with my aunt and the special came on i was 28 and it was usa versus the world it was the special uh, they do that once a year right and on the, on the special during the commercial it said hey want to be an american Indian warrior apply for casting i ran to my room grabbed my laptop and put it started applying yeah. yeah. I, I, Without I any background in. No, nothing. nothing. No, I didn't know You weren't a rock words. climber. No, no it wasn't a you rock climber. No, I do I yeah. was not. I have no. That's one thing that's different about me from the other ninjas is that I have no specific background. No gymnastics. No, All I did was play football. I played football. That was my foundation, right? That's yeah. why I have really good footwork and I the balance obstacles and things. But my foundation was football, but I have no. Not even no professional training or anything. It was all self taught, as far as outside of football. So, so you, you so, plug in your name. Yeah, I start filling it out. Um, I find out that they uh, the, the way the procedure goes as far as picking athletes would be on the show, you have to get picked. And then I um, went to Houston. You know, I trained in Houston twice before I ever ran, ran the course. But that was... Uh, Who did you that, train? That at? I was 28. Oh, in Houston, I trained yeah. with the best guys right away. Right and after that's that. what I was going to ask him. I mm-hmm. was going to ask Abel. Cause it's where where did you do your mm-hmm. training? Did yeah, you I mean, just show up not, and say, Hey, I'm Abel from Axios the Valley? Axios Warrior no,
1: Academy. Here. That was like, way down the line. Right? You know that what I mean?
2: Four or five years down the line when Axios came out. But... At the time, I, uh, the main gym in Texas was, and one of the, the first ones in the country was in Houston called Iron Sports, and it's, it was owned by uh, Sam Sam, who's oh, a yeah. legend, right? Absolutely, yeah, legend. So I went over there. Uh, me and my friend Nate, we went over there, and uh, Drew Dreschel was there. He was training. He was moved. He moved to Texas for a few a few months, and he was training there. So right That's off the bat, beast. yeah, right off the bat, I was training with le- the legend Sam Sam and the best ninja in the con- in the world. I was training with Drew Dreschel, like the best guy in the world. So I was just picking up stuff. Like I'm just like this, just taking everything in. I was trying stuff, and I was really good already. I'm like, okay, man, you've been training for a long time. That's good that you're good because that means you've been training right, right, for movement. So obstacles, being to me, to be beating obstacles is just knowing how to move perfectly, right? So that I had been doing that for a long time, and the only thing that I found was my weakness was my fingertips. And that happens for everybody, especially if you're not a rock climber. You, you find out right away that your fingers are not strong. It's not strong enough to handle these types of uh, cliffs, little cliffhangers and things like that. But, yeah, I, uh, I filled out the application. I said, I said uh, let me figure this out. I was still working. I was still working on the road in the oil industry, uh, traveling the country and being away from home months and months at a time. So, I was uh, two months before I went to, to get my first obstacle training in. I was working in Louisiana. I was doing uh, a, special, a special operations job up there and it was I worked at night it was about 30 degrees outside and it was like drizzling right it was like borderline snow drizzle and I was I had this giant impact it's a pneumatic impact and it's like 35 pounds 40 pounds it's a gun right it's a gun that you used to take these giant bolts and nuts out of the equipment in the oil industry right in the oil refineries and I'm and I'm drilling this impact and all of a sudden I just feel this crazy sharp pain in my hand and the impact falls out it just drops straight down and I don't know what happened and I'm freaking out it hurts like crazy but I, I I didn't know why it happened but I know what happened I had broke something in my hand with that with the vibrations from that equipment and I think I think part of rheumatoid arthritis is that my bones are generally weaker um, at times especially when it's really cold they just break if I do something wrong like a little bit of tension and I've broken since the diagnosis I've broken like six or seven bones right but um that I knew that happened, and I had, and I know too because like a few months earlier, I had just broken my finger. Like it was the same exact pain and everything. I'm like, oh man, I just broke something in my hand, and I want to try out for this show in two months. There's no way I can do that stuff with a broken hand. So I was out there. I didn't tell my boss. I tried to hide it because I was in a special team. If you're injured, you just go home. They don't, they don't, they don't put up with it. So that's what happened, and uh, I didn't tell him. I, I tried to work like that for two, three days, just hiding from work. And uh, one night, the last night I was there, there was a special emergency and they tried to evacuate everybody and I couldn't even pay attention. I I was writing on this this piece of paper that I had on on this box I was writing and I was drawing stuff and I was drawing obstacles for the show. Like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to make this. And I was drawing them and out there, if you're not paying attention, you're going to die. Like, it's bad out there. And I worked out there for years and I know of six people that passed away working out in that industry. So, uh, if you're not taking care of yourself, if I'm too distracted, you know, I could die out here. And, like, this is not what I want to be doing in my life. There's no way. This, this is not, not why I trained. This is not what I, I thought I was going to make the most of my life. If I'm here drawing obstacles in this environment where I can die it's three, four in the morning and it's cold and it's raining and I'm drawing obstacles, so this is what I need to do. I need to be doing obstacles, right? Yeah. had a vision. Yeah, and I'm, so I made a decision. You know, I went home that night. I was working with my friend. We were renting an apartment. And I I, I told my friend, you know what? I'm done, man. I'm not working out here anymore. I'm not even coming back. No matter what happens, I'm going to go try out the show, but I'm not coming back out here. And I I told him that. He's like, yeah, you're crazy, but whatever, right? And I left. To work in that industry, you have to have a lot of equipment. You have to have your own equipment and your own type of fire-resistant clothing. I left all that stuff to him, and it was probably like $2,000 worth of stuff. He was really happy that he got to keep all that, right? You know, I was like, here, you keep it, because I'm not coming back. No matter what, I'm not coming back. And I quit that day. The next morning, I drove home. You know, never went back to him.
0: So you so the trial
2: was in Houston. The trial no no. Once I quit, I went to Houston to, to train. Yeah, okay. no, actually, right before I quit, I trained in Houston just so I can have a feel of obstacles. When I got back here, I had about four weeks left to let my hand heal, finish up training, and and try to get on this show. Try to 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 run a course, but I applied like everybody else. You, you send in an online application. It's a really long, like I think it's like 20 pages or something. And you send in a video, a three-minute video, of your athletic background, yourself, talking about you know, your life and what's going to captivate the audience, showing your athletic ability. And I sent it in, and I thought it was good, but I, no word from NBC. I had no callback, no messages. And, and when Sam Sam had told me, like, hey, all the calls that had gone out, so if you haven't been called, you didn't get picked. I'm sorry, man. And, and he said, if you want to really get on, you got to go wait in line at the walk-on line. And he told me where it was, and I told him, all right, man, well, as soon as they start the line, I'll, I'll head up there. He's like, they already started the line. So like, well, it's like five days early, right? It's six days early. He's like, there's two people in line. You got to go wait in line if you want to get a chance and get on the show. And I told my friend Nate that day, and we left the next morning to Dallas, and, we, you know, I waited where in line. Where most people you have the- quit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have quit. Broken hand. Yeah. I didn't get on the show. Yeah. Now I got to go wait
2: in line for five days?
0: Yeah, nah, man, it would. Yeah, but not, you did. You I said, did. let's go.
2: Yeah, I told you. No, know, I did. And I, I knew because I knew that I could do it. I knew if I got on the course, I could do it. I knew that I was going to beat the course. I was going to be successful at this. I was going to win the show. So why not? I already quit my job why not go for it right like that was that was the reason why I quit why why would I not it sounds like an out?
0: all out living right?
2: man <laughs> yeah, like burn, no uh, burn the ships there is no bridge i burned the ships yeah burned the bridges and i uh, went to dallas i waited in line for 5 days i was the third person in line and I, when i got my chance i was the first person to beat the course that did
0: so you were the third person in line mm-hmm. Uh, and I, okay, so the line started five days. Those two guys messed it yeah. up for everybody.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, that, <you> know, it's <laughs> like <laughs> a black line. You, know, you see that first
2: ten? Oh man, we messed it up. Yeah, well, you know, because on the in the line, if you're not in the first ten, there's chances that you're not going to get a chance. So uh. the line, you got to get it. You got to get in as soon as possible. And on average, they'll take the first ten or so in the beginning of the night to run the course. Then they're going to run the hundred people that did get picked, and then they'll, oh, yeah. if they're still if there's no daylight. If the sun isn't up yet. Then they're going to go back to the line and let number 11, 12, 13. So
0: this fall. is you were in line to walk on or you were you were in line to hopefully get picked to participate at the at the region level.
2: It's basically both. It's a walk on line that you go to compete and they they still can go through the line and pick you. They No, I'm just saying they go like that. Yeah, literally. It. Yeah. They're like they walk I like the, the line. way you look. Yeah, yeah, and and this is what they did for me on the yeah. walk on line, which is pretty epic. Well, now that I think back of it, and I really like talking about it. But I was in line for five days. I was still training, playing football, having fun with these guys that were in line. There was about At the, at the end of it, there was about 25 of us in line. So but, there was
1: like a complex of people in line that you would hold his spot. Yeah, we you. had an agreement. Yeah, okay, we had cool.
2: this, this list, and you had to show up at a certain time, and then you, had, and you left at a certain time, and you came back and checked in, and you were on a list. You kept your spot that way. Uh, they didn't let us stay overnight. Okay. Back then, there were people that would stay overnight, but it was in a public place, so they didn't let us stay overnight. So they let us go home to a hotel. Like, uh, and But generally, we waited in line about 18, 20 hours a day those five days and when it came to the day the fifth day the producer came out and he started looking at the walk-on line everybody's like that's the producer man that's him you gotta you gotta do something you gotta show him that you're gonna be in the show that you're good right so everybody starts doing a little <laughs> thing showing off they got their they got their look right their their, their style whatever it is and their look and if they're a football player they got their helmet like, next to them or something you know so you have to have something and I was just there it was a random guy no one had knew what I was people started to see that I was strong because uh, I was doing a little bit of things out there so they were like oh, that's pretty strong Sam Sam knew that I was gonna come in and kill it. He knew that, right? And that's why he, he was our, one of my first big supporters, an amazing person, my, still my great friend, one of my great friends. Uh, he knew that I was gonna kill it. And the producer walks through the line, he asks you, and he goes down the line and asks people stuff, and he gets to me and he's like, uh, what does he say? Oh man, I can't believe already can, got your story. I want to get it just right. Story, <laughs> he's like, um, so why are you here, right? Because so he says, um, no, he says, what's your story? And I said, well, I'm, uh, I was supposed to be in a wheelchair seven years ago. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and I'm supposed to be in a wheelchair now. Right now, he's like, good. And then he asked, how tall are you, and what do you weigh? And then at that time, uh, I'm 5'10", 155. And he says, good. That's it. Mm-hmm. Those two things, you know, and I got my chance to run the course. Awesome. So how course. did that first run go? Oh, man. Uh, that night, I, I almost had an anxiety attack because I'm like... You know, yeah. I, I go all out, right? I'm gonna yeah. go for it, I'm gonna do this. I believe in myself. But when it came to it, I'm like, man, what did I do? I'm running the course tomorrow. And I started thinking about everything. Oh my God, I quit my job. I, I gotta, you know, what am I gonna do about money? I just, everything started piling up. I even, can I even do this, right? This is rare. is anybody beating these things? It's crazy, it's insanely rare. I get one chance, I'm here. I'm, I've been waiting in line for five days. What did, why did I do this, right? So I haven't, I'm starting to have this panic attack. And I just call. I just called the girl that I was talking to at, at, at this time. I, I call my brother, and they call me down. And I can do this. It's okay. So the next day comes. I get on the course. I'm warming up, and I just keep telling myself that I'm that I can do this. I, I, I did everything I possibly could to get to this moment, so that I could do it. That I can hit the buzzer, so I can so I can beat it. No one had beat it. There was an obstacle. This ring toss right here, the one behind you, it was the first time it had ever been put out. I was the first person to beat that on the show.
1: Whoa. And
2: so that, like, I had no, there was obstacles there that people hadn't beaten before. So I had to do it first. You know, so that's a different type of athlete. Somebody can go in and do something first, right? Or yeah, first yeah, try. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. You yeah.
2: can have a guy who yeah. can train the ring toss all day, and then he'll beat it when it comes to competition. But if you've never even seen one, yeah. Yeah. but you got to try hot. it, right? So yeah. that's the kind of mover I am. That's, what I, that's why I relate to movement. I was able to beat it. And I, I ran up the wall, and I hit the buzzard, and I was just like... <sighs> Yeah, I did. it. And then you know what? I right was like, I got to do it again tomorrow. And it's a bigger course. and It's, it's longer. Yep. Yeah. They so, extend it. So get ready. Yeah. As soon as I got down from there, interviews, who are you, what's this? Did you submit? Like, yeah, I applied for this show. You guys should go watch my video. It's pretty good. I'm not sure if you <laughs> like, saw it, but it's pretty good. Eight hours. Yeah. I literally was like that. I was like, hey, I came and I yeah. came and you guys are going to know me. I'm going to come back. I'm going to do this again just watch and yeah after that I, I placed I think I think I placed like seventh or, or eighth that first night out of the 115 or so that ran I was one of the finishers and uh, we did interviews and everything and then just oh man it was just blown through the roof interviews and this and that and all such stuff uh, we went home to the hotel like at seven in the morning they're like you gotta come back at four for for more interviews and b-roll and, and hero shots and all this stuff was new to me right and like, yeah, so go get some rest and come back. I'm like, I gotta sleep from eight in the morning till two or three, and then come back over here. And then I'm gonna run again that night at 10, 11, 12. I don't know what time. Yeah. Right. So how long did it take you to do that first course? The first course I took my time. I, okay. I do. I take So my time they weren't the, timing you at that? No, that you had they you have generally you have 30 seconds to move on to the next one once you beat an obstacle. That's the general rule. Um I took my time. I think I finished at like around three thirty-five. It's six obstacles. It's just it's funny
1: how much your life changed from that point to that next point. You were automatically jumped in interviews.
2: You were, you were
1: already a celebrity. Welcome. Yeah, and the yeah. thing
2: is too is that we filmed that three months before anybody finds out in America because the show, you know, it's not live. They're gonna go edit that for three months, and then they're gonna show it on the uh, on NBC. So and I you could be one of those months.
0: guys that finish yeah. the course that they just say, oh, yeah, and Abel, he finished yeah. the course
2: too, right? You don't know. Yeah, they know. can pass you through. Yeah, yeah, right. they, can, they can fast yeah. forward you. But I came back the next night and I did it again. I got up there. I said, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to beat it. Uh, they had about three guys beat it before me. Uh, then Casey Catanzaro went, went and then she beat it. Yeah. So, like, she's becoming the first woman and only woman ever to oh, beat so a so final. I saw
0: that. Yeah, so, I was there.
2: She literally uh, ran right before me. Uh, she did it. She killed it. It was incredible to watch that. Um, good friend, too, right? Like, yeah. we When you're doing these things, these life-changing events, because every every time you're on the course, that's a, that's a potentially life-changing event. Those people you're with, you remember them forever, and yeah. they become friends, right? So we became friends. Uh, Carson Williams, also one of my good friends from from that moment. Yeah. Um, and we, me, him, and Casey Catanzaro beat the course back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Out of the seven people that beat it that night from the 30 that qualified, we three did it back-to-back. Back. So that, yeah. was, that was pretty epic, too, right? Um, but, yeah, I went through... I just kept my calm, my po- my composure. Know that I'm supposed to be here. Know that I'm, I can win this. That I can beat this because this is what I've been training for my whole life. Now that, now that I realize it, this is what I was training for, right, my whole life. Uh, just go and do it. That's it. Just go and do it. Stay calm and do it. If something doesn't work, don't panic. Just keep on going, figure it out, and go. Um, I made it through. It was a tough course. I, I made it through my, some of those obstacles I've never done before. And then when I get to the top, I hit the buzzer. People are freaking out. I'm not even like winded. I was really on point uh, at the time as far as like, my, in my, my athletic abilities and my health. I hit the buzzer, and I come down, and they, they interview me, and I'm, like, emotional, right? Because I was just so proud of myself for going through all of that stuff and still doing it, still getting to this point and hitting that buzzer.
0: Well, we're proud of you, too, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's it exciting. I, I, I'm going to go back and watch everything. <laughs> yeah. This is awesome. It was insane. So you get to Vegas. Yeah. First season, you're in Vegas. You go from standing in a line for five days, mm-hmm. believing in yourself, but anything could happen, as we've seen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The David Campbells and everybody else. Yeah, who, yeah the, who the legends be, are all The there. legends yeah. are fallen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and tell me about Vegas, that first season.
2: Yeah, the, the change really quick between that transition from competing in Dallas and in Vegas. In and how much time that, has gone there's by? There's about three months.
0: Okay, right? okay.
2: So the thing about that is that during that time, they're editing and nobody knows what you did. So like I'm visiting gyms and no one knows what I'm I'm doing this and no one knows what Abel did. Uh, when I'm in Vegas, no one still knows what I did because that episode hasn't been aired yet, but we're already filming the national finals. Yeah. Right. So I'm there and who's yeah, this guy? Who's this? Yeah, hey, like, well, he made it. Hey, new kid on the block. He's probably one of those guys that yeah. they've made it one time and that was it. You know, he probably won't be back next year or something. So yeah, that's that's kinda like the, the feel that I you know, that I felt, but I also imposed that on myself too. Right? I might have made that up. But I uh, I was there, I had a patch. And I, and I did bring it out so you guys can see it. But it, I had my city, my, my finishers patch. If you have that patch, that means you beat the city finals course, which is the longest and biggest course of the year. It's even bigger than the one in Vegas. So that's why they give you that patch. And that patch, I had it in, in Vegas. So so when I had the patch, then it's like, People okay. To say, oh, yeah. yeah. Ah, this yeah. guy got smarter. some cool swag. He's, he's got something. Yeah. There. And there was probably like 28 of us that had the patch out of the 100 that had made it. There was yeah. like 28 of us. So that puts me in like top 25 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, in between that too, right after I got back from Dallas, man, I, I knew what I had done was amazing. And I was just, holy crap, I can't believe I did it. I did it, I did it. And NBC came from LA. They went down to my house in Edinburgh over there and they filmed me for the day. My family, they talked to my friends and they got a, the Day in the Life of Baby in Dallas. And then they featured it, right? That's yeah. the thing that everybody got to see. Um, but they were there and I'm like, man, it's freaking out, my uncles over here barbecued and NBC and LA guys are all here filming this yeah. and stuff. And did they
0: eat some of the barbecue? Yeah, they hung out. Yeah, they were scared. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah.
2: Um so then it was cool because one of the guys there was like, well, you know, they didn't know who I am. They don't know who I was or what I'd done. And the 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 guy that's the main interviewer has been in the show and he's like, Well, he's a rookie that beat City Finals. And then the guy's like, Well, is that good? He's like yeah, that's really good. <laughs> so yeah. that's like that's why we're here, because that's really good. <laughs> yeah. You know, because that's really good. He's a rookie. He's a, he's a walk-on rookie. Not even like just a regular rookie. Not I'm hit. a walk-on. I wasn't even picked for the show. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be Yeah. Here. And I literally rebelled because they didn't pick me for well, the show. Well,
0: let me tell you, brother. Everything I've learned about your life, there was more reasons than you're a walk-on that you shouldn't have been there. So the yeah. fact that you're there uh, is amazing, man. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Uh, beyond words. Yeah. So you're there. How did that first season go? Tell me what happened. I yeah,
2: I, I got to Vegas, you know, I experienced that whole Vegas thing, never been to Vegas. I mean, they pay for flights and hotels. It's a humble Ooh, little place, yeah, it's very quiet.
1: Yeah.
2: No, <laughs> <you're not sure. laughs> oh man, you can't, it was just, there's just so much going yeah. on, right? And I'm here and this is the biggest moment of my life. I have Stay to focus. I have to, yeah, I have. to and not only that, but I have to rest in the daytime, not at night, but in the daytime, because we're going to run this thing at night. Everybody runs all night. And I'm in Vegas. I have a lot of friends and family that like, supporting me. This is the first time I've been there. I'm a national competitor. Uh, I'm, I'm instantly like in the top 20, I think, in the country before I even run. You know, it's like there's this is really cool, big stage. Um no one in Vegas really knows who I am, but I'm starstruck. Right? Like, oh man, that's blank. Oh man, that's blank. I can't believe it. Oh man, that's nice. So I say hi to these guys and, and some of these girls and I'm just freaking out. Um but then I realized like I'm I'm here for a reason. Thanks. They did their thing, but I also did my thing. So I deserve to be here, and I deserve to run with these guys. And I'm going to show them that I deserve this spot, that I earned this this position that I'm in right now. And I go to stage one, biggest moment of your life. Again, every time you're on these stages, is the biggest thing. And I beat it. I beat stage one. Only three, two other guys had did that in the six years of the show had did that. Rookie walk-on that beat stage one. That stage one took out 82% of the people that ran and I beat it wow man. I was one of those guys they featured me again like yeah. oh man this guy did it again you know they featured me got a lot of exposure 7 million people watching now right. it's like it's just crazy everything's going through and um, yeah I ended up going to the second night in Vegas there's four stages right you have stage one you have a hundred athletes going through it by the time you get to stage two which is on the second night 82% of the people are gone so there's only 18 of us left right on stage two. On stage two, it's the second night. If you beat it, you go to stage three. Then you go to stage four. You do all those three on that one night. Wow. They film the whole thing. Oof. Yeah, so Where it's you, tough, right? Yeah, you're working. You're yeah, working. you're working that so whole So you've made it to stage three. Was it that first season? No, the second season I made it you're to stage three. three. The first season I made it to stage two, which is still pretty epic. Huge. Right? Yeah, huge accomplishment. Huge. Every time you yeah. make it to stage two, it's just gigantic. Yeah. Uh, I think there's only been like 50 people overall that made it to stage two. Um, their entire the entire show, the entire yeah. nine years. Some of those 50 people have made it multiple times. Like, I'm one of those guys that's made it there three times, right? Yeah. Um, but it is epic just to make it there one time. You're, you're
1: just considered... You, you placed yourself... You're in elite. Yeah, you're elite.
0: Yeah. You're a future it's, Hall of
1: Famer. I, I asked Pretty Eddie much. this question on the way over here. I was like, I wonder if they let them know what they're doing before you get their or is and new to you.
2: Like, no, uh, they do... You. What we do is we go get beta, right? We see people, because they're building the course so we can kind of see it outside of the gates. We can see it and, and we can see people testing it. They always have people go test the obstacle so that it looks good for television. They're checking lighting and, and it doesn't function, right? The yeah. obstacle. So they have testers. We're trying to watch everything we can because we want to envision ourselves there and doing. if they beat it, then I need to do what he did, right? So you're just trying to pick up as much information as you can. You generally have about two days to do that before you actually run the course.
0: Okay. Yeah. So who who is you? Who is your closest buddy on American Ninja Warrior?
2: i my, my closest buddy on, on the yeah. show. Um, yeah. I would say it's Michael Moore. He's a he's a 60-year-old ninja. Oh. Uh, become a mentor of mine. He lives in Dallas. I met I met him through the through the show. And uh, yeah, we we talk, you know, on a regular basis and he inspires me because he's 60 years old, you know, and I'm like, man, if I take care of myself, it can be he's stronger than me in some aspects. And I'm like. Oh, well, that means I can be stronger. Yeah. Right? stronger. That's my mentality, right? right? And I'm like, well, he didn't, he told, he's admitted, like, oh man, I didn't work on my flexibility. I should have worked on this when I was younger. And it's like, well, I'm doing that now. That means maybe I can do better at 60. You know, I can keep up. So I've been working on that. Like, I, my training right now, my, my mobility, my stretching, my yoga, my nutrition is so that I can be amazing at 50, amazing at 60 and still keep doing this and be just legendary throughout the entire uh, process, throughout I mean, that entire time.
0: There, there are probably so many ways you can answer this question. But First of all, Congratulations,
1: man, congratulations.
0: Thank you for being an ambassador for something so epic for South Texas. Uh, You know about the issues we have down Mm -hmm. here with health and wellness, and for these young kids growing up in similar circumstances to you, seeing that one of our own that looks like us, that lives where we live, is is going to do those amazing things. You're an inspiration, man. You're a role model, whether you know it or not or appreciate it or not. Shoot, man, you're a role model for me, baby. Thank you. So, we want to inspire you know the everyday person give them just a, a seed of hope uh instilling them some type of, of, of motivation to um get into get into shape to overcome what people say they can or cannot do so just a couple minutes man like what would you tell someone who needs to get back in shape who's saying they don't have time who's saying that it's hard uh what, what advice would you give
2: them? Uh, that's where the slogan came from. We are all able. Uh, this idea that I went through everything and some version of what you're going through right now. right? It may be even worse, and I still made it up. Right? I didn't let my circumstances determine what was going to happen with my life. I took responsibility for everything that was going on, even the things that weren't my responsibility. But it was my responsibility to respond to those, right. to make the best out of it. right? I didn't pick my parents. Right? I didn't pick... All of I didn't pick Chicago growing up right like that, that that's what I was given and I had to make the most of it and, I, and that's it everybody can and everybody you will you, you will if you if you really put in the effort you will overcome and you will get your dream if you keep going forward you believe it and you got to get mentors people that are doing something like that you know I didn't do this by myself I had a lot of support from my friends and my family uh, and mentors like from the show ninjas and athletes gave me all the advice people will, are there for you they want to see you succeed if you were here in South Texas, I did it out of here, too. I did it even from a place even worse. I came out of a place even worse, and I still came out and did all these things. I was overweight, just like you, if you're overweight. I was overweight. I have an incurable autoimmune disease that I still have right now, so I'm sick, right? Technically. Uh, I have. Uh, I had to adopt my two younger brothers when I was 20. I became a father really quick, right? A parent overnight. And I worked, and when you're in the oil industry, you work 80 to 90 hours a week because every second you're out there, they're paying you, so they want you working. right? So I worked I, I work every day, 13 days on and one day off. That's the legally amount that I that I, I could work. So they put me on the schedule for 13 days and gave me a day off. So I worked those long hours. I've been overweight. I've been sick. <clears throat> I had responsibilities for taking care of people. I've already gone through it all, and I'm still out here doing everything uh, that I want to do. Right? I still reach my goal. I still have more goals to go for. And it's not a hindrance. It's the path. It's the way. There's a,
0: there's a great book that I think embodies that. It's called The Alchemist. It basically says if you want something bad enough, the world will open itself up to you. And if you stay on that path and you commit yourself wholeheartedly like you have, you will find those Sams. You will find those 60-year-old ninjas who are going to put their arm around you and saying, okay, Michael, I got you. You know, so, uh, man, it, you have been an incredible inspiration. We can continue to talk and talk and talk, but I see this awesome gym. Let's plug this gym, man. Tell me where we are. Tell me about Axios. Tell me yeah. what you're doing to keep kids healthy here.
1: This is Axios
2: Warrior Academy, and it's basically my training center, right where I teach everybody everything I know about movement and nutrition. And it's it's access to what what I went through, with all the knowledge that I gained. And I really like it because. You're literally beating obstacles, right, on a daily basis, and that's empowering, and it's also gratifying. So you're going to want to keep doing it. And for me, this sport is the most well-rounded and therapeutic sport when it comes to being specialized in it. I'm working everything from my fingers to my toes.
0: Your hands are massive, man. Yeah, I like know. Like your people, hands are like like yeah. muscles. Like I've <laughs> never seen anything like it. That's I yeah,
1: that worked on them. Right? Yeah, Some that, of that's incredible. Chance. What would you tell somebody that maybe didn't have experience? Uh, Doing Ninja Warrior obstacles, someone coming in fresh—they've never worked out, but they want to do what you do. Um, how would they start at Axios Warrior Academy?
2: They're—they're going to come in and meet the community, the friends here that they're going to make. It's going—it's a huge thing. That's a big part of it. Is that you're doing this with people, you're beating obstacles with people. So when you do that, you make a connection. There's a, there's a bonding aspect to this gym, and the entire process, right? It's the same thing with us and the athletes on the show. When we go, we want them to succeed, and that's going to help us succeed too. Right? So, it's a win win. We want everybody to do well. And um, if you are new, there's a step by step process. Yeah. If you do it, you'll be just as good. Awesome. Well, simple as that.
0: Abel, you're an inspiration. We are all able. You have truly living an all out life. So, Congratulations on all your success. We'd love to have you come by, check out Orange Theory Fitness, yeah, do a workout with you. Sure. I'm gonna play around on these monkey bars here a little bit before we head back home.
1: You gained uh, another Oh man, pleasure, absolutely. <laughs> My daughter <laughs> is
0: is gonna eat this up. Uh so I may have to get a picture of you so you yeah, can sign up for it. Too, yeah. So hey, to all our fans out there, to all our friends, uh thank you for tuning in. Uh thank you, Abel and Axios Jim, for hosting us. We are here in this beautiful gym. You hear that lovely background noise. That's just life, baby. Those are the doors open in this gym where uh, dreams are made. So have a great day. We'll see you next week. Next week on our show, we're going to have a young man, incredible young man born without arms or legs, who uh, has become a world-class video gamer. He does not have an adapted or modified joystick. He actually plays with his face and his tongue and has become a world-class street fight video gamer. So amazing story, continuing on this path of trying to motivate you and be all you can be. Welcome to All Out Living, or thank you for being with us in All Out Living. We'll see you soon.